Hallelujah. Well, I've entitled this morning's message, Victorious Living. So last week, we went over and talked about who we are, right? The title of the message was, Who Am I? And we talked about our identity in Jesus Christ. And we learned, uh, for those of us that haven't heard it before, that we are saints, not by, by the things that we do, but we are saints because of who we are. It's who Christ has made us. It's an identity. It's not what we do that makes us who we are, but it's what we are that influences what we do. And today I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like in a believer's life, because this reality is, is that because you have a new identity, because it's founded in what Christ has accomplished, the fact is, is that you are victorious. You are pure, you're holy, and you're loved. And the thing is, is that all of these things are true, even if you don't feel like it. If you don't feel like you're victorious, well, you are. If you don't feel like you're loved, well, you are. Because how is that? It doesn't look like my life is victorious. It doesn't, you know, what's going on doesn't feel like I'm loved. But the thing is, is that if God said it, it's true. You are victorious. Many times we don't walk out our life in that victory. God has provided us with something and we're like, I'll be okay without it. And we kind of just walk away from it sometimes. And then for other of us, we get it. We're like, yes, I am victorious in heaven one day. I am healed in heaven one day. I am going to overcome in heaven. Our focus is so much on heaven that we forget that God has made provision for us right now. See, the thing is, is I'm excited about going to heaven. That's going to be a good thing. I'm excited. Can't wait to go. I'm always torn like Paul was, like there's stuff that I got to do, but it kind of be a little bit easier if I could just go now. Hallelujah. The thing is, is that Christ has done a work in us so that we can have a little bit of heaven right here on earth, that we can live out what he's accomplished inside of us. Because here's the thing. You're actually not going to be victorious in heaven because there's nothing to be victorious over. There's no opposition. How can you be? And you're not going to need faith in heaven. You're going to have a complete revelation. You're not going to have to... to, rely on faith at all because you'll be able to see with complete understanding and revelation and we'll probably think back and like oh why hadn't i just believed this from the beginning it would have been so much easier the thing is is there's not going to be a need to be whole or healthy we're not going to have to believe god for healing because it says that we're going to be that way that all, all tears are wiped away we're going to be perfectly healthy in heaven and that's the thing is is that when we read about these promises, we have to understand that they're not actually for heaven, they're for today, right now. We can live in victory, we can live whole. The thing is, is that when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there was a miracle that took place in you at that time. So many people think that it's just, it's a decision. And granted, it is a decision, but that's not all that it is. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, there was a miracle that took place in your, in your body. The, the heart of, of stone was removed and it was replaced with the, uh, with the Spirit of God. And you were made brand new, your old spirit, your old person, that guy, he was dead and gone. He was replaced with the Spirit of the living God. You have Jesus inside of you. A miracle took place inside of you. And as a result, your identity gets set at that moment. And we have victory in this world. See, that's the thing that, the, the, you know, we, we, we try to get people in by telling them, 
you know, that, that God loves you and he's going to forgive you for all your failures, and that's a good thing, but we are so much more than forgiven. Forgiveness is just the beginning. Actually, we are empowered by what he's done inside of us. And there are things that would have control and that would have authority over you in this world. And you only have to live in this world for a short time to realize that everything is trying to grab for your attention, trying to make you do something, push you in a certain direction, trying to manipulate you into a certain direction. But Jesus has given us victory over every single one of those things. He has given you the victory over anxiety. He's given you the victory over greed and lust. He's given you the victory over all of those things, addiction, sickness. You have the victory over all of those things. Anything that would try to take control of your life, anything that would try to dictate what you do, that would be in opposition of Christ, you have victory over. The thing is, is these things initially took the focus off Christ in our lives. Before you were saved, we were looking to all these things for fulfillment. We were looking to all these things for hope to to get us through, to let us make it. And they took our eyes off Christ. They were actually, the devil's pretty good at that kind of stuff, keeping your eyes where he wants them and not where they should be. But the thing is, is that if we don't recognize that in Christ that we have victory over all of these things, then our eyes will still be drawn to them. Our focus will still be diverted from Christ. One of the things that I always used to tell people when I I first kind of really got saved again, I was working in a restaurant and I was trying to tell people about Jesus and get them to come to church. And they said, I don't want to do that because then I won't be able to do whatever I want. Right now I'm free to do whatever I want. And I would tell them, if you think you're free, try stopping. You think you're free to smoke and do drugs and, and go out and hang out with the girls or the guys and party? Well, if you think you're free, stop for a week. And they quickly realized that they're, well, they didn't try. They, if they would have tried, they would have quickly realized they didn't even bother because it's not possible for them to do so. Bondage to those things. But for the Christian, I think we need to spend time and, and, and really focus on and look at what God says about our position and our victory in him. Because if we learn just enough, if we have just enough faith to be saved, we're missing out on so much in our Christian walk. Matter of fact, people that say Christianity is boring, those are the people. Because they have just enough to be saved, they figure they got a, this list of do's and don'ts, but they don't get that there's so much more than just being saved. So we need to spend this time studying, learning who He is, spending time in His Word, and more importantly, I think the first thing we need to understand is we have to know who God is. Because if we don't know who God is, then we can't trust the things that he says. But once you get that past that point, then you have to start learning who you are in him. Because your life will never change if you don't understand that. If, you, if you're just the same person you were before you got saved and you don't live out the victory, what has been purchased for you, then nothing's going to change in your life. And you'll spend your life in a boring, locked-down Christianity with maybe just enough faith to be saved. So let's take a look at what that looks like. First scripture I want to look at is 1 John 5, 4 through 5. It says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You'll note that it doesn't say that whoever is born of God should overcome the world or could overcome the world or usually overcomes the world. It says that the person that's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 
If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He is your Savior, you are born again, you have overcome the world. Now, there's a couple of things that we have to understand about this when we're reading this stuff. Is One, you have to know that you are a soldier and you are at war right now. The thing is, if there's the world is constantly trying to overcome you, but the truth is you're the one that actually overcomes. But if we don't recognize that we're actually a soldier at war, we don't even realize something's coming to attack us. We can just go with the flow. We can slide in. You see, by the nature of this verse is one, we should rejoice in the victory. How many know that's a good thing? Amen. We are overcomers. We are victorious. Praise God. That is awesome. But you know what has to happen for you to be those things? You have to have opposition. You have to have tribulation. You have to have things come against you. So one of the things it tells us is that, yes, we have overcome the world, but the other thing it should tell us is that the world is going to come at you because you can't get over it if it doesn't come at you. And we live in a world where we are constantly being bombarded by ungodly things. You can just watch a few commercials on TV and you'll realize that as a society, our priorities are changing and at a rapid pace. We've actually come to a point in our life where it is perfectly permissible to use immoral things to sell objects, to sell stuff. I remember when I was growing up, some of the more sultry ads and stuff, they would be on late at night on HBO and stuff that kids were usually uh, away from. But now you can find that stuff anywhere. And it's getting crazy that what we're, what we're seeing every day, the truth is, is the world is evangelizing to us. Just as much, and I would argue probably much more so than we're evangelizing it. The world is trying to tell us who we are and who we should be. I've been reading the, uh, I always forget the name, the Left Behind series. I've been reading that. It's a long series, so I've been reading it for a long time. But uh, one of the the books you get to, it starts talking about um, how Jerusalem was a holy city but as the tribulation wants, so if you guys don't know the story of this book, is the, 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 the rapture happens, all the people that are Christians go up to heaven, and then they have the, the period of time of tribulation, and then before the thousand-year reign of Jesus. Anyway, they're living during that time, so people are, are realizing that they missed the boat, and they're coming to Christ, and the 144,000 Jews, you know, they're coming to Christ, and, they're, and it's, it's a really cool story, it's a lot of fun, and uh, uh, I think they do a great job of telling the story. But one of the things that they talk about was that Jerusalem, which used to be a holy city, now has seedy places, pornography and, and uh, uh, mediums, or what do they call those people? Uh, psychics and stuff like that. And uh, all lining the street. But it wasn't like they were in the back seedy dark alleys. They were actually the nice places, right up in front with big lights. And, and what was bad was being called good. And I'm reading this, and you're like, man, that's crazy. You know, this is going to happen. And then I was, drive, this is, I was driving last night down the interstate home, and I looked over. You guys know where that RV place is right there on Orange Grove and I-10? Well, right before that, I, I look over, and I see that there's this big, and I never really paid attention, but there's a big uh, uh, B, and it says botanical something, and underneath it, it says medical cannabis. So now we're, we're, we're propagating drugs is, is a good thing. And I know there's stuff that's in marijuana that might be helpful, but you don't got to smoke it to get the benefit. It can still be administered as a drug, just like any other ones. And I'm like, man, that's crazy that this is now. And it big, bright, fluorescent lights. And the next one was some, something, something erotica store. So now, and I'm, I'm beginning to realize is that, man, even now we're not that far away. People are calling what is bad is good. And what used to be you had to hide 
can now be just shown right out in public as normal. And the world is trying to tell us that that's who we are and that that's okay, and it's not. The thing is, though, is that the things of this world tend to appeal to our old nature, who we used to be before Christ. Because our old nature, who you were before Christ, before you got saved, considered the commandments of God burdensome. Just like those people, they thought, if I serve God, it's gonna, my life's going to be miserable. God doesn't want me to have any fun, and, and I won't be free. They consider it burdensome. But the thing is, is that when you get born again, the old man dies. The old nature dies. It's, it's, it's why we have a baptism. A baptism is, is literally just a good old-fashioned funeral. You're died, you're buried when you go into the water, and you rise up from the grave in newness of life. The thing is, is that after we're saved, all too often in our life, we take our eyes off of Jesus for a moment, and we let that old man rise from the grave and try to get a grip in our life. But the thing is, is that if you're walking in your new nature, because the old nature, the commandments of God are burdensome, but our new nature, the commandments of God are life. We understand them. They're not burdensome. Matter of fact, we naturally want to do the things that God wants us to do because our mind is becoming in a line with his. And we have the, the scripture says that we have the mind of Christ. I guarantee you that Christ would not be thinking about some of the stuff you all think about. So remember, you have the mind of Christ. Don't join your old mind with the new one. But the thing is, is that if we will have the mind of Christ, we will walk in that new nature, and we'll walk in that new identity, then we will be victorious. And it's not even that we will be, it's that we are. The reality of what we are will live out and play out in our lives. But when we're constantly bombarded with the opposite, temptation begins to increase in our lives. And it's funny how the devil knows what's going to tempt you. You see, the thing is, the devil doesn't use the same bait on everybody. There's things in, in, in my life that don't bother me at all, and there's things in other people's like offense. I, I don't, very, very hard to offend me. And when you do, it's for a brief moment, and I get over it real fast. Offense is, is not an issue in, in my life. But I know people that are so easily offended. The devil uses that all the time to try to get them to sin, to live in sin. And then there's other things. Violence never tempted me. doesn't bother me. And, and even language to some extent. I don't appreciate it when people uh, curse all around me and stuff, but it's not, right? I'm not tempted to curse because somebody else is. But sex stuff, sexual stuff, I have to be very careful with. And I remember once I told a friend, I was, I was watching a movie, and I, I always ask him, they tell me about a movie, I'm like, can I watch it? Well, what do you mean, can you watch it? Well, does it have sexual stuff, a nudity in it? Because if it does, I don't want to watch it. And he says, well, how can you be okay with all the violence and all the cussing, but you're, you're not okay with the nudity? And I said, well, I've never been tempted by violence or cussing. The nudity thing, i got a problem with, so I stay away from it. The Bible says that we should flee that stuff. If something bothers you, flee from it, get away from it. But there's always stuff that's going to come against us that tries to appeal to your old nature, that tries to draw you in. So how do we overcome that stuff when it seems like everything's against us? I'm not, I can't even drive down the interstate without seeing crazy stuff anymore. Used to be you had to go looking for it. Now it's front and center. So how do we, how do we overcome it? The scripture says it's our faith that lets us overcome it. Our faith has assured us victory. 
So that means, well, I guess we should look at increasing our faith. So how do we do that? The good news is it's not even that difficult to increase your faith. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you need to get in your word. You need to hear the word. That's why when I preach, I use all kinds of scriptures usually because the truth is my preaching is not going to make a difference in your life if it's not paired with the words. You need to hear the word to have faith grow in your life. And then we need to renew our mind. That's in Romans 12 too. It's not a, it's not a suggestion. It's not a thing that happens by osmosis. It's a commandment. You need to renew your mind. Well, how do you do that? Same as the first one. Get in the word. And when we do so, we learn that we have overcome because we believe in Jesus. When you find, that's how you have to learn and get to know these things. And then we'll find out that what once appealed to us no longer does. I've told this story before, but it's one of those part of my testimony that was the most one of the most profound things that happened to me is is I used to watch a show called Two and a Half Men. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it. Not a good show. Not encouraging you to. It's got a lot of sexual innuendo and a bunch of stuff that I used to apparently find very hilarious. And uh, so I remember sitting down to turn on the show. It was one of my favorite shows. I TV'd and everything. I turned it on and I got a few minutes in and I went, huh. I just don't want to watch this anymore. No desire. I, I, I turned it off. And the funny thing is, is, it wasn't because I said, oh, I'm a Christian. I can't like these things. I can't do these things. It's because I finally spent time in the Word, and I began to have my mind renewed, and these things were in opposition to my new nature, and I was living that out. I was living out my new nature, my new identity, and these things were going against the grain. And it's not... It's different than intellectually knowing things are wrong. The truth is the world intellectually knows these things are wrong, even though they do them anyway. They intellectually get it, but they have no conviction. And matter of fact, if you do the wrong thing long enough, all of a sudden you can dull your conscience, and all of a sudden the wrong thing becomes right. But as Christians, it's not an intellectual knowledge. Like I said, when you get born again, a miracle takes place inside of you. And when you spend time in his word, then you're going to find that what you used to like if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, you just won't like it anymore. And it's not that you're like trying to change. I spent 20 years in a Christianity where I was trying to do it myself, where I was trying to, I knew the things that were wrong, and if I, if I didn't know if it was wrong or right, I would just ask a non-Christian because they knew exactly what Christians were supposed to do. So I would ask them and find out if it was right or wrong, and then I'd put it on my list. And I failed. I could never make that list. So then finally, I met Pastor Mike, and he explained me explained to me salvation more thoroughly and I finally started to get it. I spent time in the word and then who I was was not who who I was at the time, knew who I, I'm trying to talk past and then past past. So who I was at that time, which was somebody new, was not who I was before that. (laughs) I was a new person and my mind began to change And, and instead of going, oh, I can't watch this because there's sexual stuff on here, I just went, I don't want this anymore. And that's the thing that will happen if you begin to walk in his word and spend time in his word. Who you are will change. And that's why Christians, did you know that that's why you feel that, that uh, guilt when you sin or you feel that, that, uh, that there's, there's, a, there's that feeling when you know you're doing something that you're not supposed to? Do you know why you feel that? It's because you're doing something in opposition to who you are. You're going against the grain. It, it, it's, it's, it's like running your finger across the grater. You know, if you take a cheese grater and you run your finger down the front end of it, it feels nice and smooth. But if you go the wrong way, it starts cutting pieces off your hand. 
And that's what happens when you're, when you're walking in alignment with God. There's no, oppos- there's no opposition in your spirit because you're doing the things of God. But when you do the things that aren't of God, there's an opposition. You feel that grinding, that, that conflict. That's why you feel that way because you're doing stupid stuff that's not who you are. That's why Paul said that all these types of people, they don't get into the kingdom of God. That's, that's who you were. Such were some of you. He was saying, that's what you were. Why do you still keep doing that? Don't you know that's not who you are anymore? You guys are never going to let me get done with today's if you guys keep me talking on this stuff. In John 15, 1 through 5, it says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Because I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the key to living and your new identity. And that's to abide in him. To abide is to, to remain or to continue, to stay to continue in a particular attitude, condition, or relationship. That's what to abide is. So to abide is to be in Jesus, to be in his word, to be in his presence. That means you've got to read your word. That means you've got to take time to pray. I was uh, uh, on Facebook last night, and Pastor Andy Elms, he's a, he's a pastor in, in England that is friends of ours, he put up a post and he says, why is it that every time you attach the word prayer to in a church event, all of a sudden, attendance just drops. And it is so true, you know, like, we can get people to come and have food, but I can't get none of y'all to come to a prayer meeting in the morning. I can get you to come have, have lunch. But the thing is, you add prayer to something, all of a sudden, nobody wants to go. And somebody responded and said, said uh, something along the lines of, yeah, but, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, all of us have kids and, and we're busy and stuff. And the truth is, is that, you know, one more, one more meeting is difficult to fit in. And he, he said that, you know, we can pray corporately. And, and I'm like, actually, what are you saying? I, I understand. It makes some sense. You know, he says, we can pray corporately. We don't have to be at a meeting. I'm like, that. there is some truth to that. But then Pastor Andy came back and he, he said something that I didn't know how he was going to respond to it because I understand how maybe I would respond to it or feel, but he said something that was profound. He said, he said, you know what I've found is that people will make time for the stuff that they're passionate about. And he said, I found that if they're passionate about getting their kids to, to sports or if they're passionate about watching their own sports or if they're passionate about all these things, it's why you can find people at a Super Bowl game covered in snow, like it's been snowing so bad, the weather in the seats are covered in snow, but on Sunday morning, you won't have somebody come to church because the road's wet. Because what you're passionate for, you'll make time for. And, and Andy, Pastor Andy said, you know, I, uh, I've always been passionate about prayer when I've been in times of struggle, when I've been in times of hardship. I've always, he says, but I'm tired of that. I want to be passionate even when things are going good. And it was such a great answer because that's the thing, is whatever you're passionate about, you're going to put your time in. If you're passionate about serving God, you're going to make sure that that happens even if it means that you're going to have to miss a TV show or a sports game. If you're passionate about serving Him, you're going to tell people about Jesus, even if it might mean that you're embarrassed because you'll push through for those things. But we have to abide in Him to maintain these things. 
I don't even know how I got on that thought or where it fits in. I'm trying, I don't know if you can see in my eyes. I'm like, where is this at? But the truth is, is that we do, we do have to spend time in him, abide in him, make him our priority, spend time in, that's where it was. We need to spend time in prayer and in his, his, and with him and make him a priority. If I'm being honest with you guys, I definitely, even as a pastor, I go through phases where I'm, I'm struggling and where I'm, 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 I'm pressing in. And I found over the last couple months, I, I felt like God is, is far from me. Have you ever felt like God is far from you? The, the irony of it is, is that God's actually never far from us. Is that they were like, God's like right here and we're doing this. I feel like God's going away from me, but it's us backing up. And we're pushing away and, and we're not making the time and life is too busy. There's too much stuff to do and, and, and you guys have no idea what is entailed and working full time and having a family and trying to run a church. And, and it's very easy for me to be overcome and, and start picking those things. That, and you know what's funny is many times church stuff gets in the way of, of just spending time with God. And I have something I've done this last week is I've, I've been, just like I budget my finances, I've been starting to budget my time. So now I, I have in my calendar event that says, spend time in the Word and pray in the mornings. Now, now it's a calendar event. So that there's, like I have budgeted this time for that. And it's amazing. This morning as we were uh, praying, I don't know if it was this morning in there or I was praying up here this morning, but I just began to, to thank God because he, I feel near to Him again. And it's not that he came close to me. I just got close to him again, right? I just pressed in. That's, that's the honest truth. When you make time for God and you press into him, then he's, because he's always right there waiting for you. But he never drags you around. He never forces you to do anything. But he's right there. And I can feel his presence strongly again because I finally made time for him. And that's the thing I always have to remind myself because church stuff, while it's necessary, isn't the same as spending that one-on-one time with God. You know, me coming to church on Sunday morning and preaching and worshiping is not the same as having daily time throughout the week. And matter of fact, if the only time that you spend time with God is on Sunday morning, then you're going to be missing out. You have to set aside time. You have to abide in Him, remain in Him. Because the thing is, is, is how many of you guys want to produce? How many of you guys want to be effective how many of you want to be successful in Him? Then that means you have to abide in Him. The only way to do that is to remain in Him. I love the analogy of this, the vine and the branches here, because it's something we all understand. We don't have that many trees out here, but we get when we go outside and trim a branch off the mesquite tree because it's banging on the neighbor's house and messing up their flag, and they get upset with you. That may or may not have happened to me. But when you, cut the, when you cut the branch down, it doesn't take long till the leaves begin to die and it begins to dry out. And, because the, the branch can't survive if it's not attached to the trunk. It has no ability to live, no ability to thrive, no ability to produce anymore. If you want to produce the kingdom of heaven, you have to be attached to him. You have to be abiding in him because apart from him, we can't do anything. The scripture says that, that, that before him, all of our good works, even the good stuff, were like filthy rags. The, the, the literal translation for that is even worse than filthy. It's not like, like dirty, it's menstrual rags is a translation. It's, it's, they're, they're worth nothing just to be thrown away. Even your good stuff is worth nothing without him. 
and we're doomed to failure and we're doomed to hell. And we can't overcome anything in this world because we're a slave to it. Like I told you, I told them to, to if you think you're so free, stop. The truth is, is they were in slavery so, so deep that they didn't even know it. They were, they were in it so bad they thought that they were free, that they had been tricked. We can't overcome sin because we're in bondage to it. We can't stand up to the devil because he has no reason to listen to us. Because we have no authority over him or any of these things in this world. But in Christ, all things are possible. If we'll abide in him and we're attached to him, if we're plugged in to the source, then power will flow through you and you can overcome and do anything. We're not a slave to this world because we're not even a part of it anymore. That's what John 17, 16 says. They are not of this world just as I am not of this world. The they means us. We're not part of it. it we can't be in bondage because we're not even part of it here. We're just temporary visitors. We're also no longer in bondage to sin. Romans six seventeen through 18 says, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, but have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. I had the hardest time understanding that slaves are righteousness thing for a long time, but then I realized that whatever you're a slave to dictates everything that you do. And really, it's just a turn of phrase. What it means is before, sin was your master, and it made you do everything, but now righteousness is your master, and it controls what you do. And then we also find that we can resist the devil. James 4, 7, submit yourself therefore to God or abide in him and resist the devil and he will flee from you. How I many you know that's good news? You know, that's the, the foundation of so many horror movies are about how the devil is trying to fight God and he's got some way and he's going to win. Hilarious. I don't know what everyone's so worried about in these movies. Because the devil loses. Jesus was victorious, and in him so are we. Philippians 2, 12-13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we find out that we have to abide in him. That's the key. But how do we actually walk it out in our lives? How do we actually do it? Because there's so many things in Christianity that is very simple. Christianity is simple. Salvation is simple. The fact that we have victory purchased by Jesus, it's a, that's simple. Not always easy, though. Sometimes living it out can be a little difficult, understanding it, having a revelation. So this is the real question. How can we do it? We can say and we can read that we're victorious, and intellectually we can understand that, but if we don't have a revelation of that, living it out can seem like an impossible thing. So I do want to take a look at the practical side of what that looks like, getting you started down that. First, none of this works if you don't spend time in the Word, if you don't spend time in prayer, if you're not abiding in Him. All this is an intellectual exercise that will accomplish nothing for you. But what Paul tells us is he says that we have to work out our own salvation. That's an interesting phrase. Because Paul has always taught that there's nothing you can do for salvation. It's all what Jesus did. So what does he mean by work out your, your own salvation? Well, one thing is he's not suggesting that you have to work for your salvation. That's a completely different thing. Some commentators and trends, 
uh, uh, people that translate translators, um, they say that what it should uh, probably mean is that we should work out to completion our salvation. In other words, that we're to grow to the measure and to the standard, which is Jesus Christ. So working out your salvation is not the, the, the act of saving yourself, but really it's the act of living out what has been accomplished inside of you. The moment that you were born again, you're perfect, pure, and holy. The problem is for so many of us, our soul is, is elevated to that point. Bang, it's right there, but our body takes forever to catch up. I know that's how it was for me. I hear people that... That, that get saved and their entire life changed in a, in a blink of an eye in a moment. They quit smoking, they quit drinking, they quit fooling around, they serve God with everything. I'm like, that's amazing. I wish that, I'm envious. Because that's not how it happened for me. Even now, I continue to make baby steps sometimes. And I feel like I should be way up here, but I'm not. But at least I continue to move forward. thing is, is that we're to remain obedient and grow into the Christian men and women that God has called us to be, that he foreknew you to be. In Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You have been predestined or predesigned to be made in his image, to look just like him, to meet that, that, that stature of who he is. He's the plumb line. We're all working to look like him. And God, if we'll be obedient to him, if we'll spend time in his word, if we'll abide in him, God is faithful to work inside of us. Because when we act in disobedience, or when we act in unbelief, we're effectively pushing him away. We're like, God feels so far away from us. When a few minutes ago, we were like, whew, and push him away from us. And then we're like, why are you so far away? And it's like, I keep trying to get close, but you're face masking me, you know? He's like the... You know, sometimes I, I, and I know this is silly, but I, I feel like if you ever, you know, when a little kid is, is coming to try to swing at you or something, you can hold their head and they're like, sometimes that's how we treat God. He's trying to put his arms around us and hug us. And we're like, get back. And we push him away. We hold him away when all he wants to do is wrap us up. Matter of fact, the scripture says is that in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. See, and I always thought that was a, a great one too because if you think about it, a, a hen's feathers, are they, they can be spread apart. So yeah, they can pull the chicks in, but if the chicks press hard enough, they can poke right through the feathers and get through the other side. That's us so many times pushing him away. And we don't let him do the work that he wants to or intends to do inside of us because we push. But when we are obedient, when we do spend time in his, when our mind is aligned with his, oh, the work that he can do inside of us. And it's him working inside of us that allows us to be victorious. So when we work out our own salvation, we live it to the fullest. We allow God to work inside of us. And then we recognize what God has done for us. And then we can follow his command. And then we can be effective in the kingdom of heaven. Because when he works in us, we can't help but to be successful. Amen? Hallelujah. James 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That's one of the things that we have to do too as we walk this out is be steadfast. You guys doing okay? We actually got a little bit more to go through. It's going to be okay if I go a little long. I'll try to get through it fast, but sometimes I write too much. We need to be steadfast. Being steadfast is a difficult thing. 
Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the world comes at you so hard and so fast, all you want to do is go hide in the corner or give up. Ask any single mom if they haven't felt like giving up at some point. I remember when I first met Michelle, I would watch, and I found it even in my own life with my kids sometimes, but particularly when it was just her and the two girls, I had just met her, there were times that she would turn a blind eye because it was just easier than disciplining or punishing them because she was on it so much. And there's time with my kids where I feel like I'm just disciplining them and punishing them nonstop, and you're just like, and, and contrary to what kids think, we actually don't like doing it. Matter of fact, most of the time when you're in trouble, it's a giant inconvenience for us. <clears throat> but I'm serious. Like when you take your kid's phone away, like you can't get a hold of them. Super inconvenient. But you get to a point where you're like, all right, I'm just going to turn to blind. You give up a little bit and just let it go. Uh, we can, that happens in our lives. We'll see this attitude in the world as, as well. Have you ever seen people that they're like, you know what, I'm already going to hell. I'm just going to do whatever I want. They get this idea that, that there's nothing that they can do. Or they'll try to make hell seem like it's going to be one, one big giant party. They're going to be, you know, they're going to reign in, in, in hell with Satan. That's the interesting thing is so many people that think that, that Satan is reigning in hell. He's not. That's a prison for him just as much as it is for everybody else. It's torment for him. He's not, he's not the leader down there. He's imprisoned. And they've just given up. People just give up. They figure that there's no hope, so they might as well just do what they can right now. And the same goes for believers sometimes. We get, when you get saved, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be stuff that comes up against you. You're going to face trials, and, and you might even face trials that you never would have faced if you hadn't gotten saved because now the enemy's got something against you. And, and sometimes you just want to oh, just give up, just quit, quit, quit fighting because it seems like nothing's happening. But the truth is, is that we are guaranteed the victory if we will just soldier on, if we won't give up. Matter of fact, that's the only way to fail is to give up because the righteous man gets up. Even in your own sin, if you, if you sin, if you fail, if you just get back up, you're victorious. Philippians 3.14 says, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I even press on. Other scriptures, he says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to the fore. No matter what happened behind, I'm looking forward. Which is an interesting thing because it's not just the good. The, he's not saying, I, I forget my failures. But he says, I forget my successes as well because it's all behind me. Christianity is a forward-looking thing. Just because you were successful once doesn't mean you don't have to remain steadfast. Just because you were, you were at the top of your game once doesn't mean you don't have to spend time in his word and continue growing. It doesn't mean it's a one-off and done. We forget what lies behind and we look forward to the future. Hallelujah. In Jude 24 through 25, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, therefore all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude 124 is my favorite verse in the Bible. And the reason is, it's because of this. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You know, I personally believe, 
as believers, we can live our lives without sin, completely without sin. I don't believe that us sinning is a foregone conclusion. I don't believe that it's a requirement because there's some humanity left inside of us. The thing is, is that when you were born again, you were made brand new. You're a brand new creation. And the scripture says that he is able to keep you from stumbling. So I believe that we can live without sin. And that gives me great hope. Now, I recognize that many of us will still stumble and fall, and the truth is is that James says if we do sin, then we have an advocate. So praise God for that. I understand that we may fall, but it shouldn't be a normal thing for a Christian. It shouldn't be an accepted thing. We shouldn't just consider it to be the inevitable. When we consider it to be the inevitable, it's, we've already lost. We've already conceded to the fact that we can't. But the truth is, is that we can live without sin. We just have to keep our eyes on Him. I don't like it when people speak of sinning as like it's inevitable. Failing like it's inevitable. They'll encourage you by saying, you're going to sin, but don't worry, you're, you're forgiven. Or when you sin, don't worry, God still loves you. Now these things are true, but we shouldn't consider it a foregone conclusion. There's a difference between saying if and when. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If we sin, God still loves us. We should never say when we sin because that's like a foregone conclusion when it's not. Even Paul said he hadn't attained it yet. So I recognize that to be completely free and to live without sin, it's a simple thing, but it's not an easy thing. But it is possible. And I think the only way we'll ever get there is if we abide in him and we have our mind renewed. And if we'll keep our eyes firmly planted on Him. I know every time that I've sinned in my life, it's because I've taken my eyes off Him. Sometimes, and I'm ashamed to say, sometimes intentionally I've thought about it and think, well, He'll forgive me tomorrow. And, and, and that's a detriment. That's a terrible way to think because it, it opens a door for you to do stupid things. But I keep pressing in. I keep pressing closer because I want my mind to be perfectly in step with Jesus's. That way these things don't have any control over me. And I stand firm because a temptation will come and I'll hear that still small voice that says, you are victorious in him. And I, I push it away sometimes to let stuff in. Maybe that's just me. Maybe if one of you guys got it figured out, you can tell me how it is. But the truth is, is that I have to keep reminding myself. I have to keep spending time in his words. I can't, I have to be steadfast and I can't forget because the moment I take my eyes off him, stuff smacks me upside the head faster than I can block it. And I don't want to look away. And the thing is about being steadfast and, and being uh, faithful to that stuff is, is sometimes we don't even notice it. You have to be diligent in your life to watch what's going on, to live intentionally. You know, that's kind of what happened with me recently where I've had to be intentional about scheduling time with God because what would happen is I'd get up in the morning and I'd oversleep a little bit or something would always happen. I'm like, oh, I just don't have time this morning. I'll make sure that... And all of a sudden, you know, it's just a couple days in a row, three days in a row, I haven't read my Bible. And I'm like, like, what is going on? Because stuff gets in the way. You have to be diligent. You have to watch out for it. You have to put up safeguards and keep your eyes on Him. 
And man, is it awesome when we do. Everything is so much different. We'll go ahead and end here in Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The first key to living in victory is to abide in him. The second key to living in victory is realizing it's not really you who live at all. It's him in you. You know, one of the things that always uh, struck me, I think it's in Corinthians when, when Paul says that, uh, uh, don't you know that Christ is living inside of you? Would you join Christ to a prostitute? And that's essentially what happens when we sin, when we don't walk in him, we don't live Christ, don't let Christ live through us. If he's just coming along for the ride, we're actually joining Christ to those things that he should have no business being a part of. We have to understand that, that living as a Christian is not really us living at all, it's just him living through us. Like we said earlier, that's why we, we have those baptisms to celebrate that funeral, the death of your old person and the newness of life that is in Christ. And this is done by faith, by trusting in Him. It's so easy to, to let our faith down, to, to stop flexing our faith for a moment, and, and the old person tries to rise up again. But the thing is, if Christ lives inside of you, then we can look at Christ's life. This is why I also know that we can live without sin, because it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in us. How many times did Jesus sin? Not once. So if Jesus is living in me, he's living through me, and he didn't sin ever, then I can do it too. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never failed. Jesus was always victorious, and he is living in us. And if he is living in us, then we are all these things as well. And if it was up to us, our own devices, it's true that we would be defeated. We would be beat down. There's no way we can, we can compete with the overwhelming, massive amount of opposition that's coming our way on our own. That's why people that don't have Jesus, they just get roped up into it. But we are from God, and as such, we have overcome every spirit that does not confess Jesus as Lord. We are victorious. It's not a, I hope so, we should be, we could be. It is a done deal because it's what his word says. It's the truth. And truth is not subjective. Truth is truth. We have overcome. We have overcome in him. So church, I have a challenge for you this morning. Let's be a people who live as we are. Let's actually be a people who live out who we are. Not in contradiction or in opposition to who we are. Because if you're born again, you're not who you used to be. Let's be a people who live as who we are. Let there be no shifting, no shadow. Let there be no occasion for somebody to say you're a hypocrite. Don't live differently. But let's live who we are. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head.